Hello there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast. This month, we're talking all about literacy-based therapy. If you want to see all of the things that we have going on, or if you want to find out how to earn ASHA CEUs for listening to these episodes, head to slpnow.com slash lit. That's S-L-P-N-O-W dot com slash L-I-T. And now let's get to the episode. Now we're on to the framework for literacy-based therapy. We talked about some of the research behind it and why we might want to use this approach. Um, So now I'm going to break down the five-step framework that um, Gillum and Ukranich share about in their book. Um, So the five steps are pre-story knowledge activation, then shared reading, post-story comprehension, focus skill activities, and then a parallel story. Um, And we'll dive into each of these steps in more detail and um, just a couple notes that um, I took away from the chapter where Gillum and Ukrainians break this down. So storybooks, language skill targets, and focused activities vary within the framework. So we can use this framework with different books or texts. We can use this framework with a variety of language targets, and we can use a variety of activities to target these skills Um, So it's very dynamic. We get to kind of mix and match different elements, as you'll see um, in the demonstration um, portion. Um, And then they also have a note that almost any language objective can be taught within literacy-based language intervention. Um, So we'll share some different ideas in the demonstration. um, But if you have any specific goals that you're wondering about, definitely let me know and um, we'll do some active brainstorming as we go through. Um, But first we have to pick a book or a text. Uh, So I try to select something that can be read in 10 minutes or less. Um, I find that if the text is much longer than that, it's, it's just not, we don't have enough time, especially within the like within how much we want to target, how many skills we want to target, um, and then also just within how the sessions are set up, that seems to be the sweet spot. And I even tend to prefer something that's even shorter than that. I usually end up doing like five minute books and passages. Um, And then I also want to make sure that the text has multiple demonstrations of the targets or that I can kind of manipulate the book in a way that gives me Um, the ability to create multiple opportunities for the student to practice. Um, And so that's kind of what we consider when we're selecting a text for therapy. And one other note that I wanted to share. um, So one common hurdle is like, I don't have the funds to purchase a bunch of books or I'm doing teletherapy and I don't know, like I can't use a book in teletherapy. Um, So we have lots of options available to us that are free. So lots of books are available on YouTube. And if you're hesitant to use YouTube videos because of the ads and things like that, Edpuzzle is a great site. You can, it's free for, I think it's free for everyone. And you can search, they link with YouTube so you can access a bunch of um, YouTube videos, um, but they don't have ads and you can edit them and adjust them however you see fit. 
So it's Ed Puzzle, E-D-P-U-Z-Z-L-E. Um, and that's a really great resource. Um, Epic is another site that offers free digital books. Um, and then there, the library, um, whether you get a physical book or a digital book, um, I was able to log into my library and I have access to like tons of digital books. So those are all great ways to access books without having to splurge or spend money. And they're really easy uh, to access. They don't take a lot of time. Um, and then for um, another site that I really like for articles is called ReadWorks. Um, and I'll give an example of how I use that in the last section of this presentation. Um, so, okay, perfect. So we will start diving into the different steps. Um, and then just one note that I wanted to share before we dive in, um, these are not fluff. <laughs> these are very meaningful activities and each step has a purpose. Um, and we, I'll show you if it's not clear as we go through these, just the quick overview of these steps. I hope that in the demonstrations, you'll see how strategic we are with, with how we target the skills throughout the framework. And these activities are very language rich. We can target a variety of goals and um, put, these, put this into action um, with our students. So that's what we've got there. And now let's dive in. Okay, so for step one, we have pre-story knowledge activation. Um, and some activities that I like to do in this step, um, first, I like to do a book walk. Um, and these are in no particular order. I kind of adjust the order using my clinical judgment based on what I think makes sense for the students. And like maybe I'll start a book walk and realize the students have no prior knowledge on this topic. Let's reel it in, back up, and start by like building some pre-story knowledge so that they can complete that activity. Um, but yeah, so the first thing that I do is, or not the first thing, but one thing that I like to do is a book walk where we, if we have a physical book, we'll hold it up, we'll look at the cover, we'll look at the back, we'll like flip through some of the pages and just talk about what we notice. One thing that I really like to pair the book walk with is a graphic organizer where we look at the cover and the back and maybe a couple pages and we fill in a story grammar organizer and we start thinking about, okay, who's the story about? Where does it take place? What's the problem? Like what's the potential problem? Like how would the character feel? And we just work through the story grammar framework just to start having students think about the story and kind of put together some ideas. Um, and if like, if we really struggle with that, like I said, it might be worth doing some other pre-story knowledge activation, whether it's taking a virtual field trip. So YouTube is my favorite source for um, YouTube slash Edpuzzle. Um, is a great resource to find virtual field trips. Um, so we'll give an example of what that looks like in the early unit. Um, but we'll be talking about Apple Trouble, which is a book that happens in the forest. And if our students have no context of what a forest is like, 
or what kinds of animals live in the forest or this like the qualities of those animals. Um, like I found a YouTube video that walks through some different forest animals. And in that video, we get to see some of the forest. And so that helps us build some of that background knowledge. Um, and then we might do a semantic map or um, additional activities here to set students up for success for the rest of the unit. Um, the strategies that I might use throughout these activities are linguistic facilitation. So just making the students language more complex and this can apply to grammar or vocabulary um, or just, yeah, just kind of providing expansions and really meaningful language input. Um, another strategy that's especially helpful for grammar is focus stimulation, where we provide frequent models and recasts. So when we model, we highlight features naturally in conversation, or when we recast, we correct what the child says or modify the modality. So, and this is especially important um, because when we look at the grammar research, before we have students start to produce different skills, we want, they need to have a number of meaningful exposures to that target. And by doing this, like, especially if I find if we're doing that recasting, at first the student has, they're kind of like, what are you talking about? And they just continue making the grammar error. But over time, it's really amazing to see, especially over the course of just one unit, um, they kind of, they just kind of take it in. They don't really respond to the recast, but then over time, they start correcting their utterances after we provide the recast. And by the time we get to the fourth step of the unit, they are totally prepared to start producing that target on their own in different types of activities. And it just makes the teaching so much easier. Um, and so I, I've seen that work really well with grammar, but the same thing applies with vocabulary. If we're providing those linguistic facilitations and kind of helping with word finding or whatever it may be, it's just, it's amazing how we're setting up students for success with this activity. Okay, and then for step number two, we have shared reading. So this is where we read the book. Um, and I typically just, I don't spend a ton of time on this step. It's a pretty quick, it's probably the quickest section of the book or of the unit. Um, we just read through it. I make sure I'll stop occasionally to make sure that students are engaged and I might point out a couple things, but um, we're going to spend, it's just giving the student the context of the story, making sure they're engaged. We're not doing a ton of structured practice because we're going to be doing that throughout the entire unit. So just a couple minutes here. And then um, people always ask how long I spend in each step. So with pre-story knowledge activation, it really depends. If the students have a lot of prior knowledge um, and they like have a, they do a great job filling in the organizer and it's, they've got, they're good to go, then that can take 10, 15, 20 minutes. But if they're missing a lot of that prior knowledge, we can spend, I've spent several sessions in that stage um, because it's just like we're working on, it's still meaningful practice. And of course we don't want it to go on forever. There's kind of a sweet spot, but as long as I'm feeling like we're still being therapeutic according to the RISE framework, I'm okay spending more time because we have the luxury to do that and slow things down for our students. Whereas general education teachers don't have as much wiggle room and that's what makes our services more therapeutic or not 
yeah, <laughs> that's what makes us therapists and not teachers. Um, okay, so then for step three, we have post-story comprehension, post-story comprehension. And this, the time we spend here also varies. It depends on how much support the students need. It can be a very quick run through of comprehension, or it can be, it can take several sessions if we're really diving into all of these elements. Um, and so some things that we can do, we can ask literal questions or inferential questions. We can fill in a story grammar organizer, which I still consider to be story comprehension because they're answering questions about the story. Um, and then the important part to remember here too, this is a language activity. So we're not just working on comprehension. Um, if a student has vocabulary or grammar or social language goals or whatever it may be, we're still targeting those skills in the context. So if we're working on social language, um, they're working on waiting their turn or responding appropriately, not providing too many details or providing enough details or whatever their goal is around that. Um, if there's grammar, they're producing grammatically correct sentences. And if they're not able, if they're not ready to produce grammatically correct sentences, we are modeling and recasting. Uh, and the same with vocabulary. If they're they can like answer the question, but they're not using appropriate vocabulary, or if they're not using enough descriptive words or whatever it may be, we can do those, um, we can provide those expansions. And so that's how we're working on a lot of different skills at once. Um, and then some strategies we can use, we can just scaffold the level of questioning. Um, we can provide easier questions to start and then get more complex. Um, another thing that I really like to do is citing evidence in the book. So if I ask a question and the student is like staring blankly at me, one thing that I might do is I might pull out the book and I might turn to the page where the answer is and I'll ask a question again and then I might point, I might give them a field of choices or maybe I'll just show them the page of the book. Sometimes that's enough um, and that, so that's the type of strategy we can use can also provide um, other types of scaffolded support. So um, like sometimes I give multiple choice answers for the questions, whether I just list out the answers verbally or I write them out or I provide picture cues. Um, I might vary the level of complexity like we talked about before, um, like who and what questions versus when and where questions or literal questions versus inferential questions. Um, and then again, always recasting and modeling along the way. So that's what we've got for step three. And then for step four, we have focus skill activities. This is where we spend the bulk of our time. Um, and it just think what we do here is we provide the student with language rich activities to target multiple goals. So the opportunities are endless here, um, but some things that we might do are create a vocabulary journal or work on the student's vocabulary journal. Um, we might fill in a story grammar organizer if we didn't do that in the comprehension section, or we might carry that over to the section where we have the students work on retelling the story um, because that again involves grammar and vocabulary and a bunch of language skills. 
um, we might use do some pictography um, like for if we're that's a good strategy to use with a story, story grammar organizer you might draw quick pictures for the different um, steps in the story and then again students can work on all of their different language goals as we're doing that whether we're describing or creating compound sentences or um, using basic concepts, whatever it may be. Um, and then we also can do different vocabulary goals or games, those, and we'll give some different examples of what that looks like in the demo. Um, but then the strategies we wanna use, wanna select relevant targets. Um, we want to make sure that we're using student-friendly language, especially when we're um, working on vocabulary and creating definitions. And then um, also just providing that scaffolded support. So visuals, field of choices, recasts, models, the things that, and all of the strategies that we use um, all day, every day. And I don't know about you, but I can never turn uh, that support off. So I'm using that even with um, my friend's kids sometimes. So yes, so there's a great question here about taking data. So we will take just a tiny little detour. I'll take like one or two minutes to answer this. Um, and then if you have more questions, I can direct you to some other resources. Um, but I, how I structure my data is I take a probe at the beginning of every session. So whatever our focus skill activity is for the day, I take a quick probe for that. And that's super helpful because um, that helps me know exactly where the student is and that helps me prepare where we might need to start. Whether I'm just, like if um, I'm just providing models and recasts, if I need to teach the skill, if I need to provide a little bit of support or a lot of support. And so, and then that also helps me make sure that I have really clean data just to start. So within the first minute or two of the session, I do a quick probe, we kind of hop around. And then while I'm doing that, the other students are reviewing their goals and it's just super quick um, and we get really good at it. And I have a good system for that. Then we dive into the activity and then I have a rubric that I like to use. Here, let's see if I, yeah. Um, so I have a level of support rubric that I like to use just to kind of make sure that I'm being consistent in how I'm describing the support that I provide my students. Um, but what, so at the end of the session, like I'll put my data collection tool away um, and then I'll just focus on being an amazing therapist or <laughs> at least attempting to be one. And then at the end of the session, I'll open up my notes and then I'll describe the level of support that I provided. So when I'm working in context, I just, I just want my student to be successful. And I usually aim for about 80% accuracy because that helps me make sure. And I just, I, it's not like, I'm not taking data while I'm doing this. I'm just kind of um, keeping track of it in my head. So it's not the most beautiful, like numeric data in the world, but I have that at the beginning of the session. So I, I'm okay with having just some more narrative. But I feel like this is incredibly helpful because then I can describe the types of supports that are working for the student. And I think that's so much more helpful 
than just a number of what they can do on their own. And so like having those two sources of data combined, it's like SLP nirvanas, because when it comes to seeing them make progress, it's perfect. And then also it's helpful with progress reports and all of that. Um, so that's how I approach that. Um, and let me just make sure I got everything else here. Okay, perfect. So the next section is creating the parallel story. So this is where we integrate all of the skills that we talked about throughout the unit. So some things that we can do um, for younger students, I typically create a book um, and they love this because they get to take it home. So when I was, um, when we were doing in-person therapy, we just fold eight and a half by 11 printer paper, get a beautiful colored piece of paper and then fold that over it and make an old school book. Um, and then, so that's one thing we could do. Um, but one, especially with larger groups or with digital therapy, creating a book on Google Slides is very helpful. So I can do just a super, super quick demo of how we might be able to set that up. And um, some, there are two iPad apps that I've tried using for um, parallel story. So notability um, can be nice. And then also Pictello is cool because you can add the text and pictures and then students can also record uh, record their voice over it, which is super interesting. Um, and then for older students or just to step up the engagement, um, students have also had a lot of fun creating movies. So um, we always fill in the graphic organizer first. So we'll revisit the graphic organizer that we created in step one and then in step three and then in step five, we'll make another copy and kind of clear things off and then create a story that's like related to what we read during the unit. Um, but we just kind of switch it up a little bit. So like if we read Apple Trouble, um, it's about a hedgehog who hit, who gets a an apple stuck on his back um, and then they have to figure out how to get it off. Um, so maybe we can make a story about an Arctic animal, like what kind of Arctic, like what problem would an Arctic animal have? Or maybe we pick another forest animal, or maybe we make it about one of the kids in the group. Like there's so many options and the kids get really creative. Um, and it's really fun to see what they come up with. Um, but yeah, so well, some of my students have created movies, like after we create that script and we practice telling it, um, we might act it out and uh, we can just record them acting it out and make just using my phone camera. Um, Toontastic is another fun app. You can select a scene and then um, animated characters and you like move them around. You can record the students' voices. Um, so there's lots of opportunities there. Um, and then all throughout these activities, we're just really giving the students meaningful opportunities to practice all of the skills that we've been teaching and working on throughout the entire unit. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us today. And be sure to head to slpnow.com lit to access the show notes, find out about ASHA CEUs, 
and to find out everything else that we're doing around literacy-based therapy this month. Again, that's slpnow.com slash lit and can't wait to see you next week.